Hello and welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dollar Coltman. I'm joined by Elliot, Tanti, and Braden Dollar Coltman. Boys, we've been off for a couple weeks. I think we were just so like rattled and nostalgic about our first hundred episodes that we thought we just can't really top that. And so we took a couple weeks to sort of recover from all the celebrations and you know the big centennial parties that we held. Uh, so here we are now, the first weekend of July. We are well into summer. Uh, which usually means a couple things. One, if you're looking for uh, something that's going to give you hope for the future, this is the time of year. You get a lot of off-season action in two big leagues. We're not quite to NFL football season, but the CFL's playing. Major League Baseball's kind of into the swing of it. But really, most people are just watching the winter sports and figuring out what their teams are going to do. That's what we're going to talk about today. We'll go through the NFL or the NHL and the NBA uh, together. But before I do that, I have to really quickly ask both of you, uh, to, not tomorrow, two days from now, will be the 4th of July in America. Is there anything either of you would like to offer as words of advice to our Southern neighbors as they prepare for another tumultuous year? No? Good. All right, let's move on. Here we are. Topic, wow. topic one. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I feel like I'm usually pretty good at improvising, and even then I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Where to begin? Where to begin? Okay. Here it is. Uh, this is topic one. So, um, as I think There's a reason the- this is a sports show and not <laughs> a political show. I've never seen the two of you both look so confused uh, ever on this show. Yeah. <laughs> Only thing I could think of all of the is- ways of all the places you thought I was going. That was not it. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I teased off the top. We're going to talk off seasons. We could talk baseball. We could talk like it, eh, that's fine. We're in the middle of those seasons. Let's talk about the season that isn't even playing right now. That's the NHL season. July 1st. This, it, this is, we're kind of like back to normal. It feels like this was the first off season where like everything lined up properly since COVID. We're like July 1st is meant to be, the day that we see players move all over uh, to a whole bunch of new teams, the draft didn't have as much action, certainly on day one, as we've had in previous years, there wasn't a lot of trading going on, which kind of set up this weird feeling that maybe, you know, teams were, were being cautious. Obviously the cap staying where it's been was the biggest factor. Uh, Ken Holland talked about it. Many general managers acknowledging it was challenging this year to sort of figure out how to make big moves, certainly trades without being able to, you had to be able to do two things at once. You had to be able to kind of like build and plan for next year when you'll have money at the same time, recognizing you have very little money beyond what you already had this year to play with. And we saw a lot of buyouts. So that changed the landscape for, for the free agency, like the, the, the night before big names too, guys like um, Blake Wheeler, guys like uh, Matt, Matt Duchesne guys who a week before we wouldn't have been talking about as being available. And all of a sudden they found themselves, you know, looking for a new dance partner which meant that we did get a lot of action on July 1st, which was a lot of fun. We're still seeing, obviously, some deals come down, and there's some big names still on the table. But let's start with what we have uh, in front of us already and what we already know. Bray, now go to you first. Of all the trades, and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the Oilers specifically maybe in a minute, but just league-wide, the mm-hmm. biggest name, the biggest trade or change of a, of a player going to a new team, do you think, what was the big, what was the big flashy the big flashy one for you yesterday in terms of either a team that got better because of who they signed or, or a big name that went somewhere you didn't expect. What was the big one? Oh gosh. I'm surprised. Well, all, overall I'm surprised. It's not surprising how many one-year contracts were dish out, but I'm surprised that that was the trend just in the, 
the nature of how we see these offseason signings. We we didn't see a massive term contract sign. All of the massive term contracts were re-signings. The biggest one that surprised me was Tyler Bertuzzi with the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was only a one-year deal for 5.5, but this he he was a, a big name that I did not expect Toronto to uh, go after. They had an opportunity to bring back. Ryan O'Reilly, he went to a team that I thought was rebuilding in the Preds, and maybe they're trying to bridge something there uh, in Nashville. But Toronto, like, it's a new uh, – it's going to be interesting to see how they fit, uh, you know, whatever they decide to do with Matthew's contract. If that's this year, they're just going to wait it out next year. And it's a, a new guy at the helm in, in – uh, what's his face? Um, Trey Living. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they – keep that thing afloat because if one more year they find themselves out in the first round, they're, they're going to have to really seriously look at something, something new in Toronto. Elliot, what, what, what moves or, or what signings really jumped out to you or, or maybe didn't surprise you, but which ones do you think, you know, sort of drew your attention? So here's what I would say. I think this is a big and exciting thing on two folds a big, exciting, interesting on two folds. And that was the Pierre Luc, Dubois trade and the move for that. Obviously, it was massive. Happens on the 27th of June. Big, interesting, exciting, kind of. We knew he was on the market and he was going to be going somewhere. Ends up being LA. But what's crazy to me is that that deal occurs on the 27th of June and it's basically the biggest deal, either signing or trade or anything that has occurred in the next like seven days Mm -hmm. or five days, however far that we threw. Like, I mean, maybe there's some toss ups and it's close, but really like how often in our, in the history of the NHL and this particularly in the modern day history has something that's happened on the 27th of June superseded or, or that, that early on, like that's before the draft superseded everything after the first day of signing. Like it to me, it's like really interesting on that front. It is a little bit. I mean, I, I would kind of challenge you on the fact that that's something kind of new. I mean, I think back to a specific day, what about five years ago when we saw PK Subban traded for Shea Weber on the same day, we saw Taylor Hall traded for Adam Larson about a week before the draft. Like there are, there have often been early movers, especially when it comes to trades, whether we recognize there's, that there's something, you know, they want to get some, some movement happening early. Um, but I see, I do take your point. I think that Braden, I also see what you were saying, which is an, it was an interesting trend that developed in terms of these one-year deals, but it was also an interesting trend. Like the number of guys who signed for league minimum, uh, and and loaded up on bonuses to kind of get the the deal in place. I mean, let's talk about the Oilers for a second. When you get to the Connor Brown deal, which is frankly, I think like cap gymnastics for Ken Holland to sort of be able to organize this deal. Now he's benefiting for from this the fact year that Connor Brown didn't play this past season for most of the year. So he falls into a weird sort of cap recapture category that is usually reserved for 35 plus players where he's able to take league minimum and put all of these performance and gameplay bonuses on top of it, where usually a player his age would not be eligible for that type of contract. Now he gets that. Obviously, let's say he hits all of those things. He ends up making $4 million over the course of the season. All things work out great. It's scores the number of goals he's got to score, plays 82 games, like check mark for the Edmonton Oilers. You get a great player out of it, but you you do owe some money on his cap next season. Now, of course, we're expecting next season the cap to bounce up maybe by $5 million. So in that case, it's no different than, you know, one per one player buyout or something that you would otherwise have to be dealing with. Of course, the James Neal buyout comes off the books next year too. So you've basically already got that. If you think of it in like NBA terms, it's like a cap hold situation. You just kind of account for that money there. 
But it was interesting to see across the league, as you say, a lot of one-year deals, a lot of smaller term deals. But there were also a couple of big ones that kind of jumped out for me. Like the, the biggest, for me, the biggest sort of surprise or just interesting move. I don't know if it's necessarily a surprise because I knew he was leaving LA. But Jonas Corposalo signing for five years in Ottawa. Now it's only $4 million a year, but that's like a $20 million cap hit over five years. I mean, that's a that's a very big investment for a team that has made very big investments in some other goalies with, let's say, less than ideal results. Thinking back to the, the contract they signed with Matt Murray, how'd that go? Uh, Cam and Talbot. and Cam Talbot, a, how'd that go? Like, Ottawa yeah. has really struggled to find their goalie. Now, Corpusello had a fantastic uh, second half of the year after leaving Columbus to go to L.A. Obviously, we saw him in the first, first round, half too. and it, he was very he good was in that first round. So he's a solid goaltender and definitely a guy who deserved an opportunity at 29 years old to be a starting goaltender. But like, that's a big deal, you know, um, to, to be moving. Also just looking at like the term on a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who's bounced now around a little bit, four years to Nashville for $18 million, a team that's clearly rebuilding, but has now basically put him in there as their first line center. So that's an interesting big deal uh, in that sense. But you're right. It was a lot of re-signings for, for term. And then a lot of guys moving around, for the smaller deals and a lot of depth players, obviously moving, not a huge bunch of flashy guys. The big names are still on the board. We don't know yet where Patrick Kane will go. We don't yet know where Tarasenko will go. Um, so from the, from that perspective, there's still some interesting pieces there. Something um, that was surprising to me this year was starting to see a bit of a pattern from Steve Eiserman and his tenure with Detroit. He has this habit of signing like between seven to 10 guys each, each off season. And for the most part, like it hasn't really worked out. Now he had great success building the team that won how many Stanley Cups? Tampa Bay Lightning. Granted, he wasn't there for all of them, uh, but he he orchestrated most of that. I just don't know what exactly his plan is here with Detroit. He keeps bringing in a lot of sort of mid-level spare parts, and a lot of them at one-year deals. Like, is the plan just to kind of bring in guys and then ship them out for assets? And just you're just going to kind of do that until you're at a place where you feel like you compete? Well, I think there's an emerging trend here because Holland talked about this very, something very similar in terms of where teams are at. And, and it's very difficult to retain your depth right now. So lots of depth guys are moving around from team to team to team to team. And that's part of the salary crunch. And I wonder if that's just Eiserman kind of playing that that piece i mean i i, I really it was interesting because i remember this time last year i was hooting and hollering because there was so much going on and i was like the cap should go up nothing every year this is amazing and so <laughs> much fun and then this year it's gone up nothing again and it feels like it's been a little bit different and like not as ruckus and so maybe that's not a product the ruckusness of free agency and and then and the draft may actually not have to do with the trade uh, the cap situation so much as as other factors as well too. I also think Jordan, like, and Brayden, you kind of touched on this, but there's a lot of teams that also have like big players that coming up to the end of their contracts, trying to figure those sorts of things out. I think restrict. There's a lot of restricted free agents on teams like our our example at Edmonton would be Bouchard that like you have to figure out some sort of deal for as well. You're talking about bridge deals, which are going to end up costing you more later. It's just there's a lot of like different factors that are going on with teams right now, and it's just it's. Interesting. You you could basically do like an MA thesis on every team in their cap situation this year, except for the Coyotes. I'm sure there are. But in that case, like, you know, look look back at Steve Eisman's deals this year. About seven contracts to kind of fill holes 
decent guys. But if you're trying to get younger, you're trying to get better. Like, why why don't you make an offer sheet for Jeremy Swayman and put Boston up against, you know, a situation where you can have a goalie that's quality? Or, you know, even, uh, even Edmonton. We're not going to pay Bouchard more than we can afford so that we can't keep Leon or Connor down the road. So, you know, when it comes to strategy, like, why don't we see more offer sheeting happen? The rivalry in Montreal and Carolina seem to seem yeah. to do it and seem to do well, it quite well. So here's what I would offer. It's like the number of cases I think where we've seen offer sheets, number one, succeed, but then secondly, like actually benefit the team that does it is very small, right? Like the Montreal and Carolina one is, is the exception, but like go back to the, do you know the only time the Edmonton Oilers have ever done Just an offer right. sheet? Yeah. And how that work out? Well, fine, Re- but really think about Boucher. It. Think about Boucher. Are you not going to offer, like if you, if you offer sheet them at four and a half or 5 million, what's the compensation is like a first and a third. Are, yeah, is that, get, is that to, not valuable enough? You have to get Bouchard one to sign that contract. He made right. And so you, what you end up offer having to offer him is a hell of a lot more than he's worth because it takes a lot for someone to sign away from their team, which causes yeah. problems and that causes the payoff on the back end. But I, I like, I just think offer sheeting, we need to figure out a better way to do offer sheeting. And maybe the way we're doing offer sheeting is okay because it doesn't happen that often. Because I would honestly like be pretty mad if someone offer sheeted Bouchard right now. And I'm not like when I, I, what if it was a a team that you were a rival of, wouldn't you want that guy? And wouldn't you want to put that team under pressure in in a situation? I don't want, I don't want like the counter offer sheet back, you know, (laughs) I don't know. That's the game. That's the, I mean, that's why it's there. And it's also why it's a deterrent and teams don't utilize it very often. Um, We're talking Oilers. Let's talk Oilers really quickly here. We'll just run down what we know they did and kind of where the other pieces moving out went. Let's start with that. So obviously uh, we get the the ball rolling day two of the draft. We see Klim Koston and Yamamoto traded to Detroit for basically just a straight up money dump uh, because Detroit does not um, originally qualify Klim Koston. And in turn, they... Uh, buy out Yamamoto. So that was basically Iserman saying, Hey, thanks Holland. I'll give you, this is a, you know, I'll get, I'll give you, I'll get you out of jail free. And he does. Uh, so it clears up some cap for the Oilers, which is valuable. It's the money necessary to, to do a couple things, including signing Bouchard, which is good. Uh, we haven't seen that deal come down yet, but then obviously Yamamoto does find a home. He's going to play in Seattle next year. So he's back in the division, which is always annoying if you have a player who finds a new home and and succeeds. I wish him all the best, but on his best day for us, you know, he was good. He very rarely had his best day. Uh, So that's just a challenge for for a player that's, you know, a a depth guy. And that's what he was. Great upside, great potential, a guy we developed, but just couldn't work. And good for him. He goes home to the state of Washington where he's from. And that's awesome. Clint Costin, I don't know what we're going to get out of Clint Costin in the future, but we'll see. So he's still, I think, too early in a career to really kind of know what's there. He had great upside for us and a great depth kind of player. But I think you definitely add a player in Connor Brown that's better. So that's the big signing of the day is Connor Brown, as I said, on a league minimum deal, basically $775,000 base salary. So that helps the cap. The familiarity there too is going to be really nice. It's huge, right? Because he played junior with Connor McDavid. He was actually the captain of the Erie Otters when Connor was there, ironically. Um, So he must be better than McDavid. And then we signed three depth players, two of which are really AHL depth players, but have the potential maybe down the road to be the kind of guys who come up in in the call-up rotation if you need uh, some relief from injury. They include uh, Lane Patterson, who has played a little bit of NHL time, but not a lot. Uh, ben Gleason, who has yet to play his first NHL game. So he's kind of, again, a much more of a 
just a development piece. It's not a bad thing to continue to stock those shelves, especially if you're hoping some of those guys like a Raphael Lavoie or somebody might become more of a, an up and down kind of player for you moving forward, taking the place of someone like Tyler Benson, who clearly didn't work. And then we see a familiar face return home in Drake Kajula, who I would like to say as an Oiler fan, I enjoyed watching Drake Kajula sometimes on one of those fourth line grind shifts because he actually did a lot of the things that on his best day Yamo did, which was play beyond his size uh the kind of pesky player who can go into the corners and make life difficult for a you know a third line defenseman so uh not a lot of flashy pieces there other than the connor brown piece but elliot would you how would you evaluate holland so far considering we know he's got two big linchpins waiting to sort of move move everything else in the re-signing of both mcleod and uh bouchard so he you know he's kind of a little bit hamstrung but with what he had and what he's done how would you evaluate him yeah, I mean, I think he's done an outstanding job. This is classic Holland, working within the lines as much as he can to do the best that he can. I mean, there's not a lot of cap space here. He basically needed a top six forward. He got one, right? Um, he needed to clear out space. He found a way to do it. Um, and he didn't get, end up giving up a lot in the process. He's got, a, you know, he's spending tomorrow for Connor Brown today. We've talked about that and why that needs to happen. That's okay. This is, these are the kind of moves that teams in the top echelon, the top three and the top five do in years that they're heading into years when they want to win the Stanley Cup. And we, what I think I like right now is that it's very clear that everyone in that organization, top down, bottom up, is in win now mode. And that's what these moves have to see. You're spending the future to win right now. And that's what it is, right? That's really awesome. I think it also is, you know, what's really exciting is that this clears space for an opportunity like a Dylan Holloway to make some moves potentially this year and demonstrate his value. This is his last year uh, in his entry-level contract. And so he's got to make some moves to, to, to demonstrate to this team that he's valuable. So there's some pressure on him to do that. And I love watching players in contract years, especially in the NHL, something about it. I just, Really enjoy. And that could be, you know, really fun to watch. I guess if you were going to throw one criticism at Holland right now, it's that, um, you know, where's the defensive depth? Where do we need more in terms of defense? Uh, he was his response to that has been uh, Matthias Janmark. You, you know, we only got a third of a season with him. And when he was in the lineup, you know, we were in the top echelons of teams in defense. Um, so one, let's see if that continues, if that growth in the defensive game of the Edmonton Oilers continues. Um, Connor Brown, I guess, kills penalties. So we'll see if that has an impact on that end too. But I guess if you're going to, you were going to give one criticism to him, it, it's that. Um, and we'll see from there. I mean, the, the only disappointing thing is it just seems like, and as you referenced off the top, McLeod, Bush still have to get done. Doesn't look like there's going to be much space at the deadline again this year. So what we have going into game one is what we're going to have going into game 82 in the playoffs, likely. But that's what we all said last year. And look what happened uh, <laughs> uh, on the back end with that comb. So, yeah, all in all, like, I don't know, I'd give it like a A minus, you know, eight and a half out of 10, something like that. I think you do what you do. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's tricky when the situation is. But again, we also don't know what he'll be able to get Bouchard and McLeod done for. And he still has some money on the table. Moving out that Yamo deal without having to buy it out made it made it a little bit 
easier to sort of negotiate those deals because you probably still have enough money at the end of those two for a, a player and a half or two, again, league minimum kind of, you know, even a one for one kind of deal with a veteran player. Um, so there is some money to be played there. I agree with you. The defense is the interesting question mark. He seems to think that he's got seven guys there currently. If you go through them, it's Ekholm, Nurse, Kulak, CC, and then at the bottom of that, you've either got Bouchard and Boroughberg or Bouchard and DeHarnay in that lineup. So that's your seven, right? I'm not saying they play together in that order. Obviously, they, that's not the the, the pairings, but those the, that, those are the numbers. Um, Bouchard obviously still having to be signed, but that clearly they are saving money to sign them, and they are going to sign them. It's just the number. So. The piece there is like, do you feel like the depth of having your six, seven guy be two guys, neither of whom have played a full 82 games is good enough? Um, do you need an additional you know, body in there? I think he's trying to do things like that by putting a little bit more into the AHL and hoping one of those guys starts playing really well. But that's a hard, that's a difficult thing to do if you're saying you're in win now mode. But look around the league. There's not a lot of defensive depth to be had for the salary he has, right? I think we're going to see an incredible uh, improvement from the start having Ekholm right, right at the beginning, right in camp. Like I think that that, that one-two punch on the left side, as much as we don't like how heavy a 9.5 contract is on Darnell Nurse, like, I mean, that, that will be the next domino to fall uh, in just in terms of making money work. But having those guys both from the start, it's going to, I think it's going to, you know, it's going to really help that defense. Now, I would say you're also one player away from being finished here in the sense that, and it isn't just defensively, but but let's just do like the straight up one for one in and out here. We lose Yamamoto, we replace him with Connor Brown. That's an upgrade, mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know exactly where Connor Brown is in his recovery from a serious knee injury, but all signs seem to point that even if he has a slow start to the year, he should be okay to get going. Uh, it's an injury a lot of NHL players have come back for and been perfectly fine and played really well. So that. You know, there's a little question mark there, but that's also why you didn't pay $4 million straight up for him. You paid him league minimum in case there's a problem, but he's an upgrade to Yamamoto. You don't currently have a replacement for Nick Bukestad, who you lose. That's a centerpiece. Who ran it back and went right back to Arizona. He took the money. He took the money. It's great. It's great. great And we can likely sign him again at the, at the, there you go. (laughs) But Again, that's a, that the key piece there is a guy who can win a draw for you, and that's okay. what's missing. Now, let's say Holloway comes up in the Clem Costin role as the like young guy filling that. Maybe there's another person somewhere in the organization that is that other guy. Um, but I think, Elliot, you're right. I think they expect Dylan Holloway to try to take a step forward. He did have a pretty good second half of the year down in the HL. He probably should have been there all year. Just developmentally, I think it would have been better for him because he did struggle the first half of the year and they had to find a, a replacement for that piece. But I feel like even if you bring him up, you're still a piece away offensively from really kind of like being comfortable up there. So I do think he's going to have to look for some either center depth or you know, a, a move that brings somebody else in. I, so I, that's the, that's the question mark, I guess I would say goaltending wise, you know, where you're at, you're going to start Skinner yeah, and, and see how uh, Campbell's off seasons go. And maybe you've got a tandem and maybe you don't um, defensively. If everybody's healthy, you're pretty solid. You know, you're again, as I say, that sixth spot is just the question mark, but throughout the regular season, Vinny DeHarnay played very well there. He was exposed a little bit in the playoffs. We don't know where we'll be by playoff time. So anyway, uh, any final thoughts uh, on the NHL side of free agency before we move forward? 
Just one note. I think next year is a little bit more complicated than the others than we first thought. James, there's still one more year after this left on James Neal's buyout too. So I thought it expired next year too, but it's one more year. What is it? That. One, one, 1.7 or 1.7, I think. Okay. So again, just add it to the number you've already got and you're starting from the same place. I mean, yeah, totally. Or what? No, it's 1.9. So yeah, it's, but it's, you know, so that's like next year's going to be tricky. Really. You were really, I think a lot of it, people are. It's on. not if you jump to a five, if you jump to a $5 million cap and you have Bouchard signed to a two-year bridge, you're, you're not in bad shape at all. No, but nurse, you would, you would have to move nurse. And maybe you do. And you'd get two or three quality other players. Yeah. We'll see. It'll be very interesting, as you say, but that's down the road. In the meantime, we're building a team for the 2023-2024 Stanley Cup run. And that's where you start. All right. You can't. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. Thanks for that downer at the end of that, Elliot. We really appreciate hey, it. We didn't talk about the draft. Let's just really mention. Okay, they, sure. They had, sure, sure, what, sure. what, two picks this year? And I actually Royalist. think they got a really quality right shot defenseman uh, out of Bo, what's his name? Bo Akey. The Barry Colts, they said they drafted in the second round. Um, you know, he's not he's not somebody to think of for the that championship run you just mentioned, but <laughs> as an asset and moving forward, having a uh, right. right shot in the stock is very valuable. I don't I didn't even know the guy's name. Bo Akey. All right. And here's my hot take. You ready? Bo Akey <laughs> never plays for the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> As Reed Schaefer, I'm did. not saying he won't play in the NHL. I just don't think he ever plays the Oilers. You think it'll be moved that quickly, or he just doesn't make it? I don't know. I just don't like Whoa, it. Whoa! What the fuck? That's my All hot right. take. Write it down. Yeah. All right, that's topic one. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including T-shirts, hoodies, and hats. You can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today. By heading over to ordinarypodcasts.com. Okay, NBA time. So uh, the other offseason, obviously still going on, is the NBA side. Uh, their draft was really all about Wambanyama. We knew where he was going the minute the lottery was there. It's a bit like both Bernard and him. It was like the day of the lottery was really the most exciting or most important day. And then the draft itself, very anticlimactic from that perspective. But we have started to see some deals. We've seen some big free agents sign and move around. We also have had some big trades. Braden, you are our resident um, hardcourt fan. Uh, I think Elliot and I both are kind of a little bit more casual with the NBA. So we'll start with you. So the, the, the big move, the big trade, obviously, Bradley Beal going and joining the Suns, plays with Durant. That's a big piece of the puzzle. We also have the question, I guess, is this like for you, what was the, and I know you're going to say that Fred Van. Why'd you ask me? Why'd you ask me if you know what I'm going to say? I don't want to start there. I don't want to start there is what I'm (laughs) going to say. We'll talk about the Raptors in a second. Go league wide. Like what is the biggest move or what, what, what team do you think made the most impact this off season? Well, yeah. And not the Spurs for drafting Wimpanyama. That well, that's a great. That's a. I mean, that's great for the franchise. The fact that they got, uh, you know, that they've had the history that they have with David Robinson being a center, Tim Duncan being a center, and now Wemby being a center, all first round picks, uh, first overall picks, and dominant is, you know, all hell. I think it's really great, and uh, for Greg Popovich and his legacy, it's it's really exciting for the Spurs. But that is not the biggest thing. I really do think it's it's what the Suns are doing. They, uh, a team that were in the finals. A, a couple of years removed and they kind of had a shaky year last year. They brought in KD and they didn't live up to it in the playoffs. 
Bradley Beal was a, a, a player that was so adamant about sticking it out with the Wizards and just continued and continued uh, to show loyalty there. And finally that, that, uh, that big tree has fallen that, uh, so now, yeah, I mean, I think that he, I, he, he improves any team he's with. So the fact that they loaded up with Bradley Beal is, is pretty scary. Now, speaking of the Wizards and big trees, they have another move where they they move on from Porzingis as well. Yeah, and he goes to Boston. Yeah, well, originally it was uh, it was they were trying to get out from Malcolm Brogdon. That deal fell through because of uh, Brogdon's injuries uh, status, I guess, and they pivoted at the eleventh hour because uh, they needed to make that move, and they moved on from Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is now not with the Wizards, though. He that was a three team trade to Memphis. That's right. And Memphis is an interesting team here too because they brought in uh, Derek Rose, Marcus Smart, and there's one other guy that I can't think off the top of my head though to really fill the gap there that John Morant's going to leave as he's been suspended 25 games. Um, uh, and some leadership. I, you know, Memphis is not far off from being a very uh, deep playoff team as well. So uh, I, I think that they, they definitely improved. Uh, I was fascinated to see that Kyrie decided to re-sign with the Dallas Mavericks. This is a guy that is, he, he, he's, you know, what's the next shiny thing? What's the next thing I can play? For? What's the next team I can play for? He's very volatile. Uh, so the fact that they were able to re-sign him is, is, uh, was now, impressive. Okay. But is that, is that a result of him wanting to stay there or a result of the marketplace at this point? Like, is he thinking that, or did he see that there maybe wasn't a very good option out there for him this time of the year? And that maybe later in the year, you know, a, a trade is, is the better option. Like, is that just, the way that the league is right now, or do you think there would have been suitors out there for him? I think there would be, Oh, there were definitely suitors out there. I mean, most of the teams I've, I just mentioned uh, Memphis looking for a, a guard to replace jaw. Um, the Suns were, had a conversation with him. I'm sure the Lakers wanted to try to re reunite him with LeBron. Uh, I think, I think Luca was the factor. I think the fact that, that Dallas is only getting better and they were able to offer him more money as uh, on a resign than anything. I think that that was the, the final selling factor. Uh, Elliot, I'm going to go to you now. Uh, Cause I know that you're very uh, invested in the well-being of one uh, Fred Van Vliet. Do you have any take or opinion on the deal that sees him sign with the Rockets and leave Toronto? Uh, you know, actually, this is not something I focus too much time on because I've just been so caught up in the Damian Lillard drama and where he's going to end up. I mean, he seems to fit the Spurs timeline, but it seems like he just <laughs> and so that's something that I'm going to be watching for. I I just don't know that my fits the Spurs timeline. I just don't know that he has the. Uh, they, the Miami have the assets to deal with him. But anyway, we'll leave that important discussion for another day. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet, uh, immensely disappointed for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I, I, I guess this is, he's probably not, but feels like the final piece of that championship team. The first, first last notable one. Siakam. Um, yeah, I guess. Okay, yeah, Siakam too. Um, OG. Uh, so this, not to suggest... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not just, just that there aren't others that were part of the team, but the, one of the more memorable members yeah. of that yeah. of that squad for sure. 
Um, and I worry, I, I just keep feeling like every off season, it's like, oh, this is the coming down. This is the low point of coming down after that championship season. And then the next season, the next off season, it seems like things get lower for the Toronto Raptors in terms of like outcome. So is this, is this finally the team bottoming up and then we can start going back up again? I hope so. But based like, like, as I've said, like I, now I'm going to see like, Oh, could this get worse? There's always a way for it to get worse in basketball. It feels like it right now. So, I mean, I understand. I don't want to rub salt in the wound for uh, <laughs> another, you know, Toronto Raptors. That's thrilled like, about this, Elliot. I'm I, actually thrilled about this. Okay. Situation. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. So Toronto, <laughs> obviously like, knowing this is Toronto, not rock bottom. I need to say that. This that's is fine. Not that's fine. Bottom. So Toronto known for being a town full of a lot of dicks, but now they've officially got their big dick. The question, Braden, is was the draft pick right? Was this is this the guy you wanted? And and moreover, as you say, like we see Van Vliet leave. This is a team that's in a pseudo rebuild or at least a retool. They haven't really been able to find their genuine star since Leonard, but obviously they've got some promise in young guys like Scotty Barnes. We've whether or not they move on from Siakam is a question mark. Like where they got a new coach. Like where is this team in terms of where, you know, how, how do you define where this team is in its sort of maturation and, and whatever transition. I believe wholeheartedly that Nasai Jiri, who re, who just recently was awarded the order of Canada is the greatest executive in the NBA today. I, I, I firmly believe this. And I think that they are in a very good position. I mean, they were not, they were not at the bottom of the, the, the standings. They were, a, they were a play-in team. And unfortunately, they lost on the last play. Like, this is still a team that can make the playoffs. With or without Fred Van Vliet, that's another question. But uh, uh, like you said, you know, it was an, under, it was an understatement, Jordan. It, it is a, this is a big dick coming in. Grady Dick is 6'8". He's a shooting guard. He's he's arguably the best shooter in the draft, and that was that was the biggest weakness that the Raptors faced last year was was shooting. So bringing in a, a young a young guy like that who can shoot the ball at a clip, like his I think his three point was over forty percent uh, uh, last year, and and they're they are they're ultimately building around Scotty. So if Pascal still fits into that picture. Uh, that that's great. If OG can continue to fit, fit in that picture, what I loved last year at the deadline was that Masai stood pat. He could have easily moved on from Fred, Fred at that point. Um, they stuck with it, and I think that you know I think it's a really great thing for Fred VanVleet. This is an undrafted player who came up out of a, a really competitive team in in Wichita, ended up winning a championship, betting on himself, and he's making $40 million a year now for him and his family. Uh, there was no way the Toronto Raptors were going to match that. And, and so all you can do is be grateful for, you know, for that player. It's, it's not one of those – I don't feel salt in the wound, talking about Fred Van Fleet, I guess is what I'm saying. And silver lining to all this, they, they signed after the draft because the NBA draft is only two rounds. It's not this silly seven-round thing where there's a bunch of players who you, you only have 15 <laughs> players on your active roster, whereas in the NHL, you've got but the two crazy teams thing to about it, with like 30. The crazy thing is after the draft happens, hundreds of unsigned players get signed to teams. And one of the notable ones was Marquise Noel, who I don't know if you guys remember March Madness much, but he played for Kansas State. And he was fire as a point guard. And I think that this could be another Fred Van Vliet in the works 
um, coming in for, for the Toronto Raptors. Lots, lots to kind of figure out still, but uh, I think, you know, signing Jacoperta was a big piece because centers are hard to come by. Um, there's familiarity there. Uh, and, and I think that they're really not that far away from, from being a, a competitive team. They're, they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be going deep next year with the, with the, you know, the looks of the Phoenix Suns or, or even what Golden State's done bringing in Chris Paul. But the Toronto Raptors are on a trajectory here that could be really good for them here moving in the future. And like the fact that Dame wants out, that that only is is news to like that's that's very exciting for all all other 29 teams in the league. And I think Toronto would absolutely be looking at trying to make that work. Okay, just a quick listener note specifically to our mother. I apologize for the double entendre, just so you understand exactly what we're talking about. Grady Dick is the name of the guy they signed. So a little potty humor, a little play with words. Don't send me an angry text message after this episode. I can't wait for Jack to be like, "Eh, Dick from downtown. (laughs) All right. Uh, As we wrap this up, the other, as you said, obviously Dame Lillard has asked for a trade. It sounds like uh, James Harden is probably going to ask for another trade here too. I just want to ask you about the 76ers in terms of like, is this, if, if they trade James Harden, is this kind of the end of this iteration? Because the next piece to fall is Embiid, who's not going to want to stick around uh, a team that is falling apart. And I would say he's probably the biggest name uh, out there. If you're a team that's kind of holding out, holding out hope for a big move. Now, obviously Dame Lillard's interesting, but he's like, there aren't teams, there, there are teams that he would fit. And then there are teams that wouldn't. I'm thinking of teams like the Knicks who would look at Embiid and say, we will pay whatever it costs to get a guy like Embiid. Cause that is the position. Every team would, every team would. Sure. But a team like the Knicks are in a position to do that right now. And I guess that's the question. Like if Harden leaves, if they have to move on from Harden, because once again, he holds a team hostage, which has now become basically his legacy as, as an NBA player. Like we talk about the player empowerment era, all these guys looking, but like no one has taken more advantage of the teams he's been on than James Harden. Thanks for the money. Really appreciate the max contracts. All those things don't want to be here anymore. You got to move me. So if he moves, is Embiid falling and do we move on? I think the biggest thing to watch is uh, like their biggest off-season, acquisi- off-season acquisition was Nick Nurse. The, it, uh, he's coming in as coach. It'll be fascinating to see the relationship that's built there between him and Embiid. Embiid has been publicly quite vocal about his disdain for Nick Nurse. Now that's uh, you know in the media and that's that's against the Raptors more than anything, but uh, it, it will be fascinating to see if that thing clicks because under Doc Rivers, it didn't, and it didn't work for whatever schemes James Harden was a part of with, with MB. I do think you're right though. I think that if, well, Harden will leave this off season. It's just a, a matter of time. Uh, but Philly, Philly is still a team that can, uh, can make a deep run in the playoffs. So it will be, it will all come down to what they are able, how far they're able to make it this year with, um, with Nick nurse at the helm. Elliot, you know why I love talking NBA on this show? Because you have so much to offer in those conversations <laughs> and Braden just is stumped the whole time. He doesn't know what to say. Uh, that is our conversation about the NBA. Uh, we will leave it there. That's topic two. Creativity has the power to take our breath away, to move us to action or reaction, to invite us to feel more fully alive. And when the creativity is coming out of the kitchen of a local restaurant, the experience has the power to do all of the above. 
and put a smile on your face. Q Burger in Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island is home to culinary creativity led by owners Aaron and Kevin. Together they have managed to make a local burger joint a must stop on any trip up the central coast of the island. In fact, readers of Canadian Living Magazine recently voted it one of the top five burger restaurants in Canada. And if you're saying, yeah, but a burger joint's a burger joint, then let me ask you, what other burger joint allows you to choose between a Boomageddon, all caps, with double the beef, double the bacon, and double the cheese, and Wicked Sticky, where the roasted chicken breast is topped with balsamic reduction, roasted garlic, and fried brie, or the new Sonic Pickle Boomerito, yep, with an exclamation point. And if meat is not your treat, Consider a Brock of Ages, the Thai Tuna Tornado Wrap, or Halibut and Chips caught fresh from the ocean 10 minutes down the street that morning. The fish, not the chips. Put it on your bucket list. Q-Burger, locally owned and operated in Qualicum Beach, BC. Okay. Uh... Look, we've packed this episode with a lot of content. Uh, it's probably one of our longer episodes in a little while, which is nice because we've been off for a couple of weeks. We had some catching up to do, and there's lots to talk about in the offseason. So we'll keep our third topic brief here. We will go back to the old trusty hats off. Uh, for those new to the program, welcome. And this is where each of us will take our hat off and acknowledge someone from around the sporting world, someone or something, or it could be a team, an organization. Uh, but uh, we're going to take our hat off and acknowledge someone we feel deserves a little moment of acknowledgement. Uh, Braden, would you like to go first this week? Yes, yes. I am tipping my hat to, um, uh, gosh, gosh, what's her name? Jolene Boomquo. The, um, this uh Belgian Belgian thank you Belgian hurdler who stepped in for her teammate after her teammate went I think went down with an injury she's not a hurdler but she won last place in the hurdling competition after uh her stepping in for her teammate she's she's naturally a shot put um a hammer thrower too I think hammer throw as well yeah athlete and they were facing disqualification so she stepped in this was uh the ultimate sacrifice and uh i mean she did she did terribly but she did terribly with the biggest biggest smile on her face uh an ultimate teammate so very uh, graceful too for an athlete who uh, is very very none of them got knocked down she did very well her final time was uh 32 seconds uh she got over the first hurdle after everyone else was over the third um, but she had the biggest smile. You could, it, it, you couldn't help, but after 32 seconds. Yeah. There, uh, there's well, no way could, her total time was 30, 32 seconds. minutes. There's no way it was 32 minutes, 32 seconds. Yeah, 32 seconds. It's actually 32. pretty 8. good. You think yeah, about no, it. What's I mean, the, like hundred meter dash with nothing to jump over the world records, like nine seconds. She had a pretty good pace to it. And she, and there was some, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the same kind of Very form cool. that, that no, it's a great video. Hurdles. It's but a yeah, great it video. If you haven't seen it. Uh, uh, cause she's definitely not built to, for the hurdles. That is a, yeah, I was going to all like, power, <laughs> yeah, shot all put power. and shot put and hammer throw. Not exactly the same muscle group as uh, it looked like she was training out there. That's actually what it looked like. She kind of yeah. like left yeah. and then hopped off one, but yeah, well, you, see her, line up. Boom you see her line up with the other sprinters and it, it does look a little bit like, like why, why, why is this like this body type is just so much different than these other women. And 
again, it is, as you say, she's a like a record holder for Belgium in, in the hammer throw and, 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 the, and the shot put. So she's built for power. And here she is just sort of very gingerly, but very gracefully stepping over each hurdle. So I definitely recommend that video. That's a good one, Braden. Thank you for that. Elliot, who would you like to take your hat off to this week? Yeah, so I'll start my hats off with a story. Starts the weekend previous where I had really nothing to do. There was not much going on. Obviously, we'd canceled our podcast. Saturday afternoon, flip on TV. And for approximately an hour and a half, I was mesmerized by what I was watching on TV, which was the big three. This three three basketball league that is taking the world by storm i know it's been around for a while i know ice cubes involved in it i think we may have talked about it at some point but and i maybe cheekily probably at the time certainly i would have been um but it is immensely fun to watch i don't know if you've seen this before jordan brain it sounds like you have but it's like half court Mm. basketball uh basically the same through rules but it's three on three they have specific spots that are four point spots that are really cool i believe they play two i forget now because i only watched one game they play to like 50 i think or 51 like so there's like a set you, you play to a score rather than uh over a time frame which makes it very interesting the game i watched the winning team got to 49 points 49 to 35 and the other team made a run so it was really interesting they sport great names like Tri-State, Enemies, Trilogy, Triplets, Three-Headed Monsters, The Killer Threes, Threes Company. Just a lot of fun. Lots um, of puns. Lots of puns, but like it's a league that's not taking itself too seriously, but providing what was like really quality sport in basketball. And I like didn't know the players really, didn't know anything about it. You know, what's and interesting it- about that sport is that it's like we we have we have juniors. And then we have the pros, but we don't really have like senior team, senior leagues. And that kind of is it. Like in yeah. the, in the three, you see guys like Birdman or, or like fan favorites, Rashard Lewis, um, some, some really great NBA players in their time, but they're like, you know, they got great beards. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah. The basketball is still really good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Maybe a bit slower, but still fun. Well, it's half anyway, court. It's half court. My, uh, my, my head goes off to the Good quality. It's very good. I like that one a lot. Um, I I too will take my hat off to uh in fact an entire league, but more specifically the merger of two leagues. So it was announced this weekend that the uh co-owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Mark Walter and his wife Kimbra, uh, along with uh, team president Stan Caston and tennis legend Billy Jean King have partnered to purchase the remaining assets of the Premier Hockey Federation, which was one of the women's hockey leagues that we have recently seen go under. Uh, and basically, they are going to merge uh, the PHF and what was formerly the NWHL uh, together and basically create North America's proper women's professional hockey league, something we've been talking a lot about on this show over the course of the last couple of years and something that's been, you know, talked about a lot uh, recently, but it finally looks like a, like an actual legitimate uh, financially stable ownership group has come into play. They are looking to develop a league. They have the assets from one league. So there's still, I think there were like six to seven teams there. Uh, they're looking to utilize those teams over the course of the next couple of years. They'll look to expand and build out a, a bit bigger uh, offering, but a, a true step forward for, for professional women's hockey, which is very important and very exciting to see. Uh, it was interesting to, to listen to some of the, um, 
comments about it. Uh, a couple of the, the quotes I pulled, uh, Kendall, uh, Kendall Coyne Schofield, who we've seen, you know, at the NHL All-Star game and obviously playing the Olympics for uh, Team America, uh, has had a great comment. She said, over the past four years, we've worked tirelessly to close the gap for young girls and boys so they both could dream of the same sport. And here's an opportunity for finally for women to know that as they develop minor hockey for women in America, there's an opportunity for them to play professionally. So that's great news. Uh, and then the other one that I thought was really interesting, because we've talked a lot about it on our show, was the response from the NHL. Uh, they put out a statement basically saying they'd like to congratulate the Professional Women's Hockey League Players Association and the Premier Hockey League for their agreement. We had already have initiated discussions with representatives of the unified group regarding how we can together continue to grow the game. That's a very positive statement from a league that's done basically nothing to help women's hockey since these two teams went under. And the best response I thought was the wife uh, of, of um, Mark Walter uh, Kimbra, who I mentioned earlier, Kimbra came out and said, I feel like the NHL has had its opportunity to get involved. I think we're moving forward without them, which is a very, a polite way of saying thanks, but no thanks. You had your chance. Uh, yeah, up, uh, 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 you, off you go. Uh, and I like it. I think that that's the right response because, as we've said, like I strongly believe the NHL should have and could have really stepped in here and been leaders and been taking this as an opportunity like the NBA has to truly, truly support women's hockey. They chose not to do it, whether that was strictly financial because they're afraid of what the world of the finance around their own sport looks like or strictly because they're just too short you know, close-minded and short-sighted to see the opportunity for it to benefit their sport. But they didn't do it. I'm very proud of these other guys. Good for them. And I really, really, really hope that it works well. Uh, and I wish them all the best. So my hat goes off to all of those owners and to all the women uh, across North America who will now have an opportunity to play professional hockey with some good ownership. Yeah, I'm, really right. looking, I'm really looking forward to the Women's Hockey League team uh, that's successful in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're gonna play anywhere. Oh, that's a good one. Like that's Denver. a good one, Tammy. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. Oh, boy. Did you see did you see Gary Bettman come out at the beginning of the, the draft this year? With when he when he brought Dave Poole and out he with like him? hid behind Aaron Boyle and be like, uh, uh, why are you booing me? This guy's here. But uh, honorary tip our hats also to David Poyle in a, a very successful career as he's retiring, moving on from the, the game. Yeah, oh, one of the good guys. All right, let's leave it there. That is our show for this week. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Braden. Really do appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you have not already, please uh, check us out on Instagram. You can also find out more about this show and all the other shows from around the Ordinary Podcasting Network at our website, ordinarypodcasts.com. Uh, and until next week, uh, that was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include. Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, 
as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.